0: there, you're listening to the Steve Fund Speak On It podcast. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by our hosts and guest panelists are their own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of the Steve Fund. Before we begin our conversation, it is important to note that the information shared on this podcast cannot and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with a health or mental health care professional.
1: If you or a loved one need help, please reach out to a health or mental health provider or the Steve Fund Crisis Text Line, which you can access by texting STEVE to 741741. Thank you and enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome back to Speak On It, season two, Secrets of Wellbeing. In today's episode, we will be discussing social wellbeing and listening.
0: Joining us today is Ashish Talker. Ashish Talker is a rising sophomore at Stanford University. Growing up in the rural Central Valley of California, Ashish has always been struck by the unequal access to medical services among those around him and how that contributes to disparities in health status. He plans to major in bioengineering with a minor in economics, hoping to develop more novel and cost-effective therapies in order to reduce socioeconomic inequalities in healthcare. In his free time, Ashish loves spending time with his family, including his puppy Onyx, and playing video games with his younger cousins. He considers himself quite the cynical and spends countless hours watching movies with his friends.
2: Hi everyone, thank you so much for having me.
1: This week, my thorn has just been... Uh, This has been the first week of graduate school um, for my program for the semester, and it's just been a lot of back-to-back icebreakers. And I know that we're transitioned to virtual, and so it's just a way for us to have that social connection. But I can only do so many classes where I have to introduce myself and, you know, like my favorite show to binge watch on Netflix over and over again before I'm kind of sick of it. Um, So thankfully, we're moving on to our second week and moving past that. Um, my rose for this, uh, my rose is that, um, I've been able to kind of do, uh, you know, like social distance hangouts outside with friends that I haven't seen in a hot minute. Um, and we've been taking like walks out and around parks. So that's been real nice. And then a bud is that, um, my research with the program evaluation that I'm doing, um, with school is starting to, um, speed up a little bit more. Um, so a lot of more fun data to look at and look at some trends.
0: For this week, a thorn would have to be, I guess, trying to maintain past relationships with people um, in high school. I know I had some very close friends and I still talk to quite a few of them, but everyone has such a busy schedule in college and it's kind of hard to kind of keep in touch, especially when people are in different time zones. Of- so that's a little bit of a thorn, but we do schedule, like, weekend calls to, like, catch up and everything, so a rose, something good that has happened this week, um, I think it would be, like, the amount of new people I've met so far, um, surprisingly, I've actually met a lot more upperclassmen than freshmen, which is kind of interesting, but what I've come to find is that upperclassmen are much nicer than freshmen, and they're so helpful, and I love it. And a bud that I'm looking forward to um, with this upcoming three-day weekend, I look forward to going back to hang out with my puppy. She's an adorable bud who has a big attitude, but I love her, so that's what I'm excited for. <laughs> um, I'll go the next. So a phone for me would probably be similar to Kaylin's, just like running into people, but not having time to say hi. Like, I actually had a friend text me afterwards and she was like, oh, sorry, I was, like, really rushing. Um, sorry, I didn't have time to chat. Like, hope I didn't seem rude. And then I was like, no worries. But I think it's funny how people are, like, always rushing around and um, you have to, like, schedule time to talk with people, <laughs> like, a meeting or something. So I guess that would be my thorn. And then a rose, it would probably be, like, moving in and having, like, fabulous roommates. They have a really good, like, matchmaking system here. So that's worked out for me. And then a bud would probably be um, an audition I did for the chorus last night. It went really well. Um, well, at least I got some good feedback. And then also looking forward to more auditions I have this weekend for acapella groups.
2: So I still have a couple of weeks until my college starts. Um, but I did recently have to pick out classes. And I realized that for majoring in bioengineering, I have to take a few more organic chemistry classes, which sucks because I already have taken two and they're very difficult Definitely not my forte, um, so um, that's a little bit irritating to have to have to go through more of that. But it is what it is. Um, in terms of a rose, a research project that I'm working on to um, sort of look at how different demographic, uh, how different demographic groups like ethnicity, age, gender in the Central Valley um, have reacted to the COVID nineteen pandemic. Like you know, how has their employment status changed? Um, has their income changed, um, their medical security, all those kinds of things. Um, so I've been working on a research paper for that. My abstract recently got approved to be presented at an upcoming Association for Academic Surgeons meeting, so super excited about that. And a uh, bud, I got assigned my roommate for, for the upcoming housing term, and I'm really excited to foster a connection with them. Um, he mentioned he's a Marvel fan, and I am as well. So, hoping to kind of dirt out about him with that. Um, he also wants to work out at the gym, so hoping to get a little bit, a little more into the healthy swing of a lifestyle. But yeah, to start off, uh, we can go ahead and just define social well-being.
1: Um, As described by the National Wellness Institute, social wellness, or as we're calling it, well-being, can be described as the emphasis of the interdependence between others and nature through contributing to one's environment and community. Another definition can come from the National Institute for Health, which states that social well-being is the exploration of how positive social habits can help one build support systems and stay healthier mentally and physically with these definitions in mind, what are y'all's initial thoughts on social well-being?
2: I find social well-being to be a very interesting concept. Because, you know, when I tend to think about well-being, I tend to think about my own well-being. You know, I think about my own satisfactions, my own functionality, my own thought process. It's a very individual consideration. Yet, that kind of thinking, you know, totally fails to take into consideration that Humans, you know, by nature, we are very social beings. You know, evolutionarily, the existence and advancement of humans is driven by our ability to, to foster relationships, both on a small scale and among, you know, larger systems of community. And so I find social well being to be at the heart of all of this. I think it's incredibly essential that we inquire about, you know, what it takes to promote com- compassion, promote listening. Uh, promote gratitude, promote pro-social behavior, acts of kindness. Um, anyway, I think that that's something that has definitely been further elucidated to me throughout the pandemic. Um, especially as I found myself in more isolated incidents, um, I found that you know my you know my own mental health and my own well-being definitely took more of a toll as I realized that you know my you know, my my happiness, my my ability to feel lively. You know, it was very dependent on social interactions. You know, being able to to talk with people, to hang out with people, to listen to people, to be a good friend, to have good friends. Um, you know, those are all very difficult considerations as, you know, as quarantine went on. Throughout this
1: process, I've been lucky that I've been staying with my parents. So at least I have um more immediate connections to other individuals within our household. Um, but I know that some college students, like international students, don't necessarily have that, especially those that come from more, you know, like cultural, culturally like collectivist um cultures and communities where they are adjusted to living with like two or three generations of family members in a household. Um, on top of that, I've had a couple conversations regarding social well-being. Um, in the context of intimacy, um, and not just necessarily like physically, like sexual intimacy, right? But also just touch in general hugs, um, being able to hold someone's hand and et cetera. And for those that are a bit more tactile, um, the social isolation I've seen has definitely impacted um, some people's mental health because again, they're stuck in apartments by themselves. So it's kind of like, what can I do to help mitigate this? I have my pets but they're not necessarily people, right? Um, So I think I'm really excited to hear y'all's perspectives on that aspect throughout the rest of the conversation.
0: Um, At the beginning of quarantine, a lot of people were social distancing and there was a lot of, um, I guess, Zoom interactions. And I think there was a research article that I read talking about how, is it the same spending time with people in person Um, versus online and like there is a difference Um, the study has shown that like face-to-face contact does release neurotransmitters um, similar to how like high-fiving or hugging can release like oxytocin and just lower the cortisol levels lower stress and improve like dopamine levels and because humans are mutually dependent on social interactions and everything of the sort i would say that far too often especially during covid People would forget how important um, maintaining or improving your social well-being is in your life. It's just one of those things that's easily overlooked, especially when uh, people, I think nowadays on mainstream media and things, people are looking into like self-care as being something that they do solely by themselves, like you can live an overall general better life simply by living in isolation.
1: Uh, what are some of your own experiences or experiences that you've heard or seen um, as related to social well-being in your like social circles?
2: When you consider you know, racism, for example, discrimination tends to be the most studied aspect of racism. But racism has a very deep effect on, on mental health. Um, and I think that you know, if you look historically, um, you know, if you look at slavery in the U.S., you'll often find that um, you know, sense of community were oftentimes the greatest form of of combating that and of coping with um, with a lot of the hardships that that disadvantage that disadvantaged people face. Um, you know, it's a lot. It yeah, you know, when you when you have a a group ideology, something that a similar experience that you can share and promote with those around you, then I think that you'll often find it a lot easier to to deal with with the tougher things that are thrown at you.
1: I'm a first generation student. Uh, my parent, my parents are immigrants. In fact, a lot of my extended family like immigrated to the states at the same time, and that includes like. Um, eight pairs of aunts and uncles. So it's a a party here in Houston uh, (laughs) during New Year's. Um, But one of the things that I've seen is the tendency for, or creation of enclaves, uh, ethnic enclaves in cities. And that's a way for individuals to find their own little niche and community, especially if they're immigrants, um, within a wider, predominantly white, um, predominantly English-speaking culture that is very xenophobic. Um, and being able to have that connection and network. Um, but I think like one of the things that I've seen in terms of my parents at times is uh, the difficulty for communication and the very dependence of being able to speak English in the States and the lack of ability to do so or the limited ability to do so really impacts your ability to build those social networks and social connections unless you find other individuals that can speak your language. And even then, at times, there may be other factors that come into play, like classism, um, educational level, and et cetera, that may prevent you from being able to form those social networks. Um, and I think that leads to a lot of social isolation, unfortunately. Um, and I think it's like a noteworthy topic that, like, you know, for new immigrants uh, that come into those states, like, that's a consideration of like, how do we address this properly so that it helps them also with their mental health so that they're able to um, thrive properly here.
0: Um, I remember my friend telling me the other day that her mom well her I think her parents immigrated from Brazil and her mom was saying like I would be kind of more of a I don't know how to describe it she said she'd be more of a Karen I don't think she meant Karen because like we all know and don't like Karens but like probably more assertive with like people or I guess like being able to stand up for yourself if you're like fluent in the language like I feel like that's a really important tool I and I think this memory was sparked by like me talking about my mom and like how like if anything went wrong or she was like I guess never had hesitated to advocate on our behalf and I think um like seeing that confidence in her like I guess kind of instilled that in me so now if like i need to handle anything or talk to anyone like i'm able to do that or do that like on my friend's behalf and i feel like that's just important i'm not sure if that has to do with social wellness or a different type of wellness but i don't know i think communication is just really important and and language is like a big aspect of communication
1: i think you're talking like i think that's really amazing and i think that talks about community which i do see as social well-being Uh, where even if like our racial or ethnic backgrounds may not be similar, we may have similar experiences where I think the sense of community or even if you don't share similar experiences, just the ability to advocate and be an activist for individuals that may not have the voice to be able to do so properly is an amazing aspect. Um, What you mentioned also made me want to say that Uh, sometimes English speakers may seem a bit more aggressive or non-fluent English speakers may sound more aggressive when they're speaking English. And that may just because in their native tongues, uh, that's typically the tone that's taken. And or because of the way that they don't know the language, they are inflecting on certain words that like, if you do in a normal conversation for English, like fluent English speakers, it's kind of like, okay, you're being a bit sassy, or that was a bit rude. But in reality, it's just like, no, this is how they're communicating. Not to generalize, just from my experience. um, um, So I speak Chinese, uh, primarily Mandarin, but I've also heard Cantonese. And for those of you who are unaware, in Chinese, we typically have four tones if you're speaking um, in Mandarin, and then I believe it's six or eight tones in Cantonese, but as a result of which the way that we emphasize on certain words can sound a bit louder. I'm putting quotations um, compared to other words. And so sometimes when Chinese speakers that I've seen speak English, they tend to be quote unquote yelling because their voices are a bit elevated, but in reality, that's they're just talking normally and they're not really purposely trying to be aggressive.
0: I guess I was just a little bit confused by that because I've experienced and seen people um, maintain the same assertive tone that's found in like the Chinese language into like the American language. But oftentimes I would see them as more timid in their discussions with people. I'm not sure if it's just because like lack of confidence in the language, but that's one of the things I noticed. And then I also wanted to add that with communication, I think it's interesting because... Sometimes I feel like not only do the tone of our, okay, it is the tone of our voice that can set the mood for the conversation. But a lot of times, I guess in my experience, sometimes whenever I talk to people, they might sound, they might think I sound annoyed or just sarcastic, or my parents would always assume that I'm, um, what's the word? I think highly, or I think I'm better than them in my tone of voice. And I'm, Always kind of confused about how that language is that like a communication issue or like language issue, language barrier, or is that something that has to do with like a cultural thing where children aren't supposed to speak back? Because even if my tone is leveled, I don't, I'm not sure if that's like a cultural thing.
1: I don't want to speak for your parents, but I feel like it's like it could be a combination of things. Um, like, one question I can ask is, were you a language broker for your parents growing up? And for people uh. who don't know, a language broker is a person who has to translate for their parents from their native tongue into English and vice versa, um, typically when you're a young child because your parents aren't fluid in English, so that's so flashbacks for anyone who went to the doctor's office when you're, like, four or five years old, or Let's go older, six or seven years old and (laughs) having to translate what the doctor's trying to say or ask your parents. Um, So that's a language broker.
0: Uh, No, I wasn't a language broker.
1: (laughs) Okay. So maybe it was like a cultural difference thing or maybe it's just like a language barrier thing where they're like, oh, that's like a weird word for you to be using that's a bit sassy. Um, Like my parents don't like me using like so or Okay, like okay, because it's deemed like too sassy and too um, informal um, to be having in a conversation with like a parental unit. What are other like topics or um, themes related to social well being that y'all have seen or would like to discuss for today?
0: Oh, I actually had one in regards to boundaries and expectations. This one was actually really interesting to me because. I know that there are many people in my life who I like to say I know very well, and sometimes it's just difficult for me to assess, like, when am I supposed to, I guess, take the initiative to sort of push them in the right direction without overstepping boundaries.
2: Yeah, that's really, that's a really interesting point, Um, because, you know, I think that, you know, um, I think I found myself on both ends of that dynamic, Um, you know, I found myself being that friend who... um, who could use a bit of an extra push from his peers, um, and I've received that before, and it certainly has helped. Um, but I also have been that friend who, you know, who's um, who's been around peers who, you know, maybe um, you know they're going through a rough patch, um, you know, maybe academically or through home life, and um, you know, I'm I'm willing to you know try to help them, try to listen to their listen to what's going on in their life, and you know, try to try to encourage them a bit. Um, and it's hard, you know, um, how do you, how do you strike the balance between, uh, you know, um, between helping a person when they ask for help versus simply believing that they, that you should help a person, even if they don't ask for help. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, even myself, you know, when I'm, when I'm in a difficult place, um, I know that I could really use help, but I feel embarrassed, you know, I feel nervous. Um, I worry about what people think about me. Um, so I think that a lot of times it can really come down to, you know, whether or not you really have like a, I suppose a, a comfortable connection with, um, you know, with whoever you're with, um, you know, do you feel comfortable being vulnerable with a person? Do you feel comfortable, you know, expressing, You know, not just expressing positive emotions, but expressing your sadness, expressing your difficulties. And I think that that can boil down to, again, aspects of social well-being, you know, aspects of, um, you know, maintaining a healthy relationship with people, maintaining a positive role in your, in society, in your community. Um, And so I think that finding Um, I suppose an appropriate time in an appropriate place to to um, to interject or to help and to encourage those around you can can ultimately just boil down to comfort level with who you're who you're dealing with
0: yeah I think it really does depend on the friend because sometimes we have different friends for different things and like some friendships are stronger than others like I think I said this in an episode that ended up getting scrapped but you can kind of tell like how good this friend is based on like what they're willing to say to you because often like our closer friends will be able to say the harder truths and the friendship won't end because of it. I think friends that have to hesitate like should I tell this person the truth like can I help them or would that be overstepping a boundary it's almost like the friendship is not as strong as like whatever problem there is so it's like I guess it's a good way to measure the quality of relationships but you need a range for sure like not all your friendships can be like the closest um some people like you literally just do math with or you literally just go to like practice with and like we all need friends like that too like seasonal friends so I don't think maybe one is necessarily better or more important than the other but it's an interesting measure to just see like the kinds of things you can actually talk about with um with your friends
1: and to piggyback off that I think there's an interest in terms of what Ashish was mentioning about vulnerability um, and even if it's, like, a math study buddy or, like, just, like, a colleague, I think it's, um, I think there's some importance and there's some, um, there's a gem in terms of being able to, like, talk to, like, a study buddy that you're seeing, like, a bit down and, you know, take them aside and be, like, hey, like, I've noticed that you're a bit down today. Like, what's happening? Like, is everything okay? And if, Whether or not they respond to you genuinely and, like, you know, like are willing to tell you what's happening, or if they're just kind of brushing you aside um, with the, yeah, like everything's fine. Everything's okay. I'm fine. Um, Flashbacks to the little puppy in the fire gif that I'm thinking of right now. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, everything. I think that's like a specific mental health one, right?
1: Yes, but I think it goes down into listening and whether or not we are active listeners. Um, And whether or not we are genuinely like there for another individual when we're asking, right? Because I think one of the things that I've seen and also have discussed previously are, you know, like when you're walking day to day and you're just like, hey, Danny, how are you? Like, and when you're saying, how are you, it's typically as a greeting, um, but it's also kind of like a way for you to assess and check in on someone. And I think it's really important to you know be a bit active and like when you're saying how are you genuinely take a little bit of time and be like but like how are you like really like what's happening you know like i don't want like a oh it's okay it's fine if like things are okay um but i think that also depends on again like you were mentioning your comfort level personally um and also that under other individuals just comfortable talking to you about what's happening right
0: and there are other questions to ask too like i feel like i've seen those circulating around as well like um I'm kind of blanking, but like, how are you is is almost like overused and it's seen as more of a greeting. So like, if you really want to check in with someone, like there are other questions or you can like offer to do things for them or like recommend like shows for them. I don't know. I mean, there are other ways to show that you care. Yeah. There are more than, there's definitely more than one way to show that you care and it doesn't always like require you to ask them to report back to you how they've been feeling or to like make up this like positive version of how they've been feeling. Like there are other ways to be there for people. Yeah, I I like how you guys are talking about asking people like, oh, how are you? And it's sort of just meant to be a common greeting. And whenever people ask how I am, I'm just like, oh, like you know, I'm okay. Like everyone says, how are you? And you just there's not really much you can go off of. Like you can't just be like, oh, I've been having a really tough day. Oh, actually, maybe some people do that, but I personally don't. I haven't met many people who would openly share any like distress that they're feeling when people ask how are you. But there are other ways to sort of reach out to someone without asking that, how are you? With like sharing something that made you think of them or asking about their like opinion about a new song. And I feel like those type of conversations or those type of yeah, conversation starters can sort of help people open up and be more vulnerable. And it just provides an easier route for them to do so.
1: For me, depends on who I'm talking to, and usually it's just those friends who I've had established boundaries and expectations with because we've had. uh, So, what I typically like to do is like I like to check in on my friends. Um, I think I've mentioned this in our previous episode where I'm just like, "Hey, like." um, I think this is usually before I like spiel or like you know complain or rant at them. So I'll be like. Hey, Caitlin, like, do you have capacity for me to be able to just, like, complain today or just, like, share all the things that are stressing me the heck out right now? Um, And if you tell tell me no, then I'm like, okay, never mind. I'm going to respect that that boundary. But if you tell me yes, I'm going to go off. Um, But kind of connected to that, sometimes I like taking my friends aside and like, hey, like, so what are our expectations? What are our boundaries in terms of our like relationship? And I know that's kind of clunky and can be awkward for some people, but I personally like doing that just to maintain minds and know that like, you know, like this is a boundary that I want to respect for you. And if you don't want me to consistently like kind of poke the bear when you're in a bad mood and be like, how are you, how are you, how are you? Um, and you get upset because I'm constantly checking in on you. Um, it's a way for them to be like, okay, like if you really want to check in on me, I would prefer that you do it this way. Um, and then I'd be like, okay, like I'll check in on you in whatever manner that you're okay with and comfortable with. Um, and that way I'm ensuring that I can check on you as my friend and maintain that social connection. And we can also maintain your boundaries and your comfortability whilst I'm
0: doing that. Yeah.
2: And uh, um, I think it's really, really great. Really great point. I guess a question that I might have is, you know, how do you check in on people who, who there might be a bit of a communication gap with? Um, I guess um, an example I provide is uh, my dad. Um, my dad grew up um, in a rural village of India with his, uh, with his three siblings and his parents. Um, I want to say that his total village had a population of like 50 people, and his family took up like a quarter of that. Um, he moved to the U.S. when he was eight. Um, So, um, you know, he grew up in uh, Southern California um, in Orange County. And, you know, he told me that, you know, he had like a really, really basic understanding of English, but that for like the first, like maybe four or five years of being there, um, he had a lot of um, difficulty sort of expressing his emotions. Um, Just this idea that you know, because everyone saw him as that kid who could barely speak English, um, you know, no one really made an attempt to really, like, talk to him. Like, you know, teachers would talk to him about math homework. Um, you know, teachers would talk to him about how school's going, but, you know, no one would really, you know, properly take an attempt to, like, assess on him, check on him, ask him how he's doing. That would be something that he would only maybe find, like, among his siblings and then, like, at home. But even so, with his parents, his parents were constantly working. Um, you know, I think both of my grandparents from my dad's side were working about two or three jobs throughout my throughout my parents' childhood, just to try to keep them financially afloat. Um, and he said that you know his um, that really only turned around for him not when he got a greater understanding of English because that was something that still took a while, but it was when there was a mild influx of. Um, of Indian immigrants to his area. Um, basically, you know, my, my grandfather from my dad's side had encouraged a large group of his friends back at the village to come move to the US. And so then he had like an influx of kids around his age who were you know, really going through the same things. And he felt that you know, his, um, his ability to express his discomfort, his ability to express his difficulties um, was a lot easier when he had people who were willing to like actually properly check on him. You know, when he had people who you could more easily communicate with, and there weren't even people that he necessarily knew. You know, these were kids who he hadn't seen in like five, six years. Um, you know, from a village that he had never visited in quite some time. Um, and so, I guess just you know, just this idea that you know, especially when dealing with you know, indig- with indigenous groups, dealing with know, people who, you know, their primary language isn't your primary language. How do you, how do you check up on a person who you have a communication gap with?
0: Was the question in regards to how to ask someone if they're okay, if there's a language barrier? Or is it how to like check in with people who aren't as forthcoming with their emotions? So it's like yeah. they want to project a sense of like always being fine but you may have a sense that they're not and you want to know like how you can really check in with them and, and let them know that you're there for them if they ever uh, do need anything. I guess they can answer that, the interpretation that Danny mentioned. If you were to pull me aside and you there's time and the place that matters a lot. You can't pull me like if you pull me aside from like a Crowd into like somewhere quiet, and there's not many people, and there's um, no limit on the amount of time, so I can like share things. Then I'll feel more open to talk about what's on my mind and convey how I feel, like any sort of dysphoria or anything of this sort. So, I guess time and the place is something that really matters if you ever want someone to share something that's on their mind especially if you know that they're going through a rough patch in their life yeah I think certain people have their guides up at like certain times of the day so I think that's a really great point Kaylin. like maybe notice like what causes them to open up when do they seem more open as opposed to like other times and like maybe try to talk to them then yeah oh and another one that I just remembered is that sometimes when you share your own experiences people are more open to sharing their own to know that they're not alone. I know I've used that tactic a couple times, but I'm always cautious with it because I don't want to make it seem like I'm telling them my problems and that my problems are bigger than their problems. It's just sort of a way of telling them that, hey, you're not the only one who's going through a rough time.
1: I think it also helps like if you're playing games or like cards or you're drinking, um, whatever. I'm not gonna so whatever you're drinking, um, or like just going to dinner and having like a way as a distraction uh, while you're having these conversations, because emotional vulnerability can be a bit rough for some people. Um, and so having um, capacity for them to be able to pause and distract themselves a little before, you know, opening up again is also a way, I guess. So with that, we've talked a uh, about a lot of various topics, and I guess this is time for us to move on to our next segment. And we briefly touched upon this, like how does social well-being um, directly affect, you know, like mental health of like BIPOC individuals? So, for example, we've discussed um, concepts of social, ugh, social isolation, um, feelings of loneliness, um, and uh, the lack of connection in general. And how that can um, cause individuals to be anxious or kind of um, aggravate some of their uh, mental illnesses or other things that they may already have.
2: Yeah, um, I think that you know, I you know, I was born and raised in the United States, but um, especially in the Central Valley, I've seen that you know, having having a community, um, you know, especially like in the Central Valley, there's there's a there's a wide variety of different ethnic communities there. There's a large Fijian ethnic community. There's a Punjabi ethnic community. Um, there's a decent proportion of Hmong in the Central Valley as well. Um, and, you know, they, they organize events together. They go to each other's houses. Um, you know, everyone's kids are friends with each other. Um, and I think that, you know, you really see that develop because, you know, that's, that's one of the best ways to cope with the difficulties of a new environment. Um, there's a, there's a lot of stress of being in a, in a new place, a new environment. And especially if there's like a language barrier or cultural barrier, that just makes things that much harder. Um, you know, it, it really, it enforces, it enforces feelings of isolation. And so I think that, you know, having people that you can really relate to with your difficulties that you can really have similar experiences with and share those experiences that makes things much better. Um, But, you know, on the flip side, you know, sometimes there's, there's situations where you might see um, that you can't really foster that sense of community. Um, You know, what do you do if you're, if you're the only um, Indian kid in, in an all white school? You know, you can't, you can't find that sense of community with other Indians if they aren't there. Um, And so I think that, you know, if you, if you're in a position of, you know, already having an established community, um, being able to be inviting, um, being able to be cognizant of those around you, and be willing to extend a hand, um, and you know, offer um, you know offer a way out of someone's someone's you know pit of isolation.
1: Uh, we briefly discussed a bit about listening and boundaries and expectations, and I just wanted to check in in terms of. Because I don't think we've really talked about this—the difference between like maybe like solicited versus like unsolicited advice um, when you're have when you're trying to comfort someone or um, kind of help guide someone through like an uh, an issue or a crisis.
0: Mm-hmm. I think this um, kind of ties into our previous conversation about boundaries and expectations. I think bottom line when you're trying like sorting between solicited and unsolicited advice it's always it it's communication you need to ask people whether or not they want help or need help and it's just like a common courtesy thing you know you can't just go up to a person and be like hey I think you need to do this and this and this but that may not be what they want to hear right now or what they need to do or what they think they need to do um I think Yeah, just ask the person first before you do any further steps. To me, I think that's just like kindergarten classroom guidelines where you need to be respectful of other people and yourself. Yeah, not only yourself, but other people. So respect that people have their own opinions and that they need their time to sort of process things. And And I think you can also ask yourself like where – are you coming from like, are you coming from a place of genuinely wanting to help them or are you trying to coach someone else as a way to coach yourself or is it like making you feel better? Yeah. Even so, if your intent is like genuinely good, I don't think it should excuse the fact that you overstep a boundary. Like you still need to ask, even if you think it's the right thing to do, You need to ask. It's communication. I don't know what I don't know. I've just had personal experiences where people just step into my life thinking that they know what's best. And I don't know. It just kind of frustrates me, but I'm learning that sometimes people just aren't emotionally mature to recognize certain stuff. And that's okay. That's okay. People are learning. I'm still learning myself. And Yeah, we'll learn together, guys.
1: I love that you all both mentioned intent, because in the realm of public health, there's like a lot of discussions in terms of working with vulnerable populations. And even though you may have good intentions going into a community and asking questions and doing research there, there's a discussion of how invasive are some of these questions? How invasive is your presence in this community? And what are you gonna do with the research afterwards, right? Like, are you gonna do actual sustainable programming and projects to help those communities? Are you literally just there to data collect, right? Um, Cause that also comes with good intentions, but the aftermaths uh, could actually be more harmful later on. right? Um, so that's like a bigger picture thing, uh, but going back to like the smaller things that you were mentioning, Kaylin, Um, I think it's very important that, you know, like, even if you have good intentions, it's just taking a step back, introspecting and ensuring that even if you have good intentions, like, what are the after effects, right? Like, um, if I tell Ashish, for example, I'm like, I don't know about the shirt you're wearing I don't think that's like the right shirt to be wearing in this like um, presentation. Um, we don't know like what that could do later on. If, like in terms of like, okay, but next time he sees the shirt, he'll be like, um, uh, maybe I don't want to wear this shirt anymore.
0: Really quick question. Before I move on from this topic, or other people share, um, how do you inform people to sort of not provide unsolicited advice without being rude? And even so, it's not something that you can necessarily teach them. You can always remind them, but there's only so much you can tolerate before you just need to tell them, like, stop, (laughs) get out, (laughs) don't do that.
1: From my experience, it depends on the hierarchy and your power dynamic relationship and also where you're standing. So, for example, if it was like my supervisor, my PI, a professor that's like kind of giving me unsolicited advice and you know they're responsible for my grades and my letters of recommendation I may not immediately be like like hold out my hand and be like okay thank you but I wasn't asking you anything that I would may potentially do for like colleagues or uh, fellow classmates right like I would let them tell me whatever it is that they're giving pause and then maybe come back a different day and be like hey like the other day when you're telling me X, Y, and Z. I appreciated the thought and intention behind it, um, but also it was kind of unappreciated in the context of like, I wasn't really looking for that advice. Um, And I think moving forward, I would just prefer not to have that and just have like whatever other boundaries or expectations that you're having with that relationship like laid out. So they understand like, hey, like I'm not comfortable with you just blurbing advice at me.
0: Maybe one thing that might work for people who don't necessarily want to offend the person who's trying to give the unsolicited advice is they could be like thank you and then clearly do something else and so maybe the person who's giving the advice will like see that and be like oh they're not <laughs> listening to me. I feel like when people set, try to set boundaries like boundaries are a good thing but I think oftentimes people will interpret boundaries as something negative. They think that oh they're telling me that they don't want me to do this, it means they must not like me at all. But I believe that setting boundaries is just a healthy way of trying to keep someone in your life, than completely cutting them out.
2: Um, a couple of years ago, my dad had pulled a back muscle, um, pretty bad pull. And um, he works, um, you know, he sort of dialed back his professor now, but um, he works as like a vein specialist. He helps to treat like varicose veins in the leg. Um, and his usual practice is like see fifty, sixty patients a day, um, and you know. But there's a lot of you know arm movement, a lot of shoulder movement, and what he does. And so you know when he when he sprained his back muscle, um, you know he was trying to go fully forward, just continuing his work, and you know thinking that you know he didn't need time to rest. And my mom, who also happens to like work with him very closely. Um, You know, she told him, she was like, hey, you know, maybe uh, it was, I suppose, a form of unsolicited, unsolicited advice, but she was like, you know, hey, maybe you should consider, you know, dialing back, you know, taking a break from seeing patients for a day or two, you know, we can afford that, it'll be okay, you know, we should really watch for your own health and for your ability to treat your patients, and, you know, my dad took that as, like, an injury to his pride, he was like, no, don't do that. Um, I'm okay. I'll be fine. It'll all be fine. Um, you know, my mom ended up going behind his back and ended up canceling his patients anyways. Um, and you know, my dad was upset about that for like three hours. Then he, three hours later was in a lot of pain and was incredibly thankful that my mom, you know, did that for him. Um, but at the same time, if you really break it down, you know, my mom gave unsolicited advice, my dad tried to put a boundary and my mom still, went around that boundary and in the end it ended up working out. Um, So I guess my overall question is, you know, what do you do if you're in a position like that, where, you know, someone puts a boundary on your, on your attempt to advise a person. Um, But, but, you know, you and others may have the belief that, you know, that boundary maybe isn't a proper boundary.
0: I think that really just depends on, again, who the person is that you're kind of doing this with. Like, your parents, their husband and wife, and they probably know each other for, like, a really long time, so they know what's okay and not okay to do with each other.
1: I think for me, it would just be, like, a pros and cons thing before I would do that. Like, I would have to be for me personally, at least I would have to be very secure in terms of like, I'm like a hundred percent. Right. And if I were to cross this boundary, I am like 99.99% sure it's going to go the way that I'm thinking it's going to go. But then there's a conversation of like, will this person feel betrayed that I did whatever it is that I'm doing to like cross that boundary. Um, and I think it's just being able to, weigh those things. Um, But I think for me personally, from what I've learned over the years is just not going to cross those boundaries and just respecting people's autonomy and their decisions and thoughts in terms of like, okay, this is my line and be like, okay, that's your line. Um, If something similar (laughs) in the future comes up again, that's really similar to this situation, I'm gonna bring up this line again and, you know, nicely and gently nudge you and be like, why don't we push back the line a little bit or, you know, change the line um, because clearly last time it wasn't helping.
0: Yeah. And I think it's just important to remember that whenever you do um, have the opportunity, quote unquote, opportunity to overstep someone's boundary, you just need to keep in mind that you're also putting your relationship with them at risk because sometimes people might not take it the right way. I know that a lot of like, people my age, whenever they come across, like, a person who has done them wrong, like, one one bad thing that they've done, they just cut them out completely. And sometimes I would think that's a little absurd. I'm, like, maybe they had different intentions and everything. But, yeah, just be cautious about your relationship. You're putting it at risk if you overstep the boundary.
1: Yeah. And to, like, share, like, an, uh, a personal story related to this, I had someone that I knew that was in a relationship where their partner was cheating on them and they were blatantly cheating on them. Um, But this individual still wanted to be in a relationship with this individual. Um, The rest of the friend group obviously was like, that isn't okay. Um, And they tried to talk to this individual and be like, hey, like your partner is a bad person. I don't think it's healthy for you to be in this type of relationship, especially if they're going up around your back. In doing this because you're not in an open relationship and there were concerns of like STIs and other things Um, and that individual kind of got upset because I think their boundary was like I don't want people telling me what I can and can't do in my relationships Um, and they kind of cut off uh, the friendship or kind of put up a lot more walls in those friendships for those individuals that spoke to them. Um, And for the rest of us, we kind of juggled the idea of like, okay, if we speak up as well, then this person's going to put up walls and they're going to socially isolate themselves uh, with this person. Um, So our choices are to, you know, provide the unsolicited advice that we clearly see that they don't want, or still be friends, stay in the background and be there if things are to go sour and be there to support them and help them through that circumstance.
0: Because boundaries are agreements and they also represent trust. And so if you don't have trust in a friendship, like what do you really have, I guess? But I guess if you overstep that, you may not know how it's going to turn out. But I think sometimes it's worth it. Like, I don't know, there's what people say and then there's also what they show. And sometimes you can see that they need something and they're not willing to say it, but you can just see it, especially if you're close to them. And I feel like if you really care about them, it's your responsibility to act in the way that you best see fit on their behalf just because like they matter to you, like maybe even more than like your own pride or whatever, I don't know. And sometimes I think if some friendships end where you were just trying to help them, like I guess like you kind of have a clear conscience because you know you were just trying to help and do the best you could, but maybe there's a smarter way to go about it. Like, I don't know, Jay, if you think this would be a good idea, but like instead of confronting the friend, what if you were confronting like their partner who is cheating? Like what if you just like went after and <laughs> you sh- shaking your head? And um, why wouldn't you do that?
1: Um, again, I think that would just be for me personally, just be going behind like uh my friend's back in terms of like talking to this conversation. And then um it could be like awkward because like what if uh, their partner didn't know that they were telling other people about the cheating situation, then they get upset. Um and it could lead into like a nasty situation or it could escalate for whatever reasons. Um so I typically kind of don't promote that unless it's like absolutely like, I'm gonna beat the crap out of you because of what everything that you mm-hmm. did is like really bad. Um, but I feel like for me, that's not normally the case.
0: With everything that we've discussed, I think it's also important to talk about coping strategies.
1: I think for me, it's really about boundaries, expectations and just um, being vulnerable And having conversations with individuals on their social well-being, but also being introspective enough to check in on your social networks and how you're doing and maintaining your social wellness as well.
2: I think that um, I try to take a lot of time to, um, to assess the relationships that I have with those around me. Um, you, know, I, you know, every day I try to think, like, you know, how am I doing with my parents? Um, you know, did I spend enough time with them? Did I spend enough time with my grandparents today? Have I talked to my sister today? Have I spent enough time with my puppy? Um, you know, when was the last time I talked to this friend? Um, you know, last time I talked to this other friend, he mentioned he was having a little bit of academic stress. Have I really followed up on him to see how he's doing? Um, I think that there is a lot of value in just taking time to just you know, pause, slow down, and, you know, really consider and really think to yourself, like, you know, am I, are my relationships healthy right now? Am I in a healthy relationship, um, you know, with my partner? Am I in a healthy relationship with my friends? Do I have a healthy relationship with my family right now? Um, you know, how am I, how am I being seen by my community right now? What is my, you know, what is my role in sort of this society that I'm involved in at the moment? Um, I think that considering all those things can really go a long way.
0: And I love how you phrased it as like right now, because it kind of implies that relationships are fluid and like, they may be healthier sometimes than others. And like, there are things you can do to like, I guess, bring them to a better place instead of just like, is this a good or a bad person? And are they worth cutting off or not? Like, I think that's a lot of what's preached to us on social media, but I don't know if that's like realistic or helpful because like, you can cut off a whole person without learning what they were meant to teach you and like becoming a better friend in the process. So, yeah, I, I think that's a really great check in because it's not waiting for anyone else to tell you to do that. Like that's something that you just prompt yourself to do. And I think that can like really drive you to have like lasting, healthy relationships. So I think that was a really good reminder. Yeah. And something that I try to do to sort of cope, um, I try to take this, sp- I try to, remind myself um that I'm grateful for my current relationships with the people I have in my life because sometimes it's easy to forget that even the most simplest of relationships whether it's like with your sister or your brother like I'm grateful that I can always just call them even after like I should probably call them more frequently but like every other week or so yeah I should probably call them more but I'm grateful that I have those type of people in my life, who I can always just turn to and rant about some friend drama, because you know you need someone, you need some other friends if you want to talk about your friend. <laughs> but yeah, I think just taking the space for having gratitude for your social current, your current social bond is important to do. And like, if there are people who tend kind to of drain your social battery more than others. Um, Or are they just like, you know, talking to them isn't really good for your mental health. You can still love them from a distance. Like maybe just call them every other week instead of every week, like instead of cutting them off altogether.
1: With that said, it's about time for us to wrap up. Um, But before we do, um, just seeing if anyone has like one main takeaway.
0: My main takeaway is sort of that communication is really important and it annoys me that it's really a simple thing that i've heard throughout my life so many times like communication is key to like happy and healthy relationships and it's honestly true like it doesn't matter if it's for like an intimate relationship or a simply like platonic friendship it's important to communicate with people in order to maintain a good social well-being in your life
2: you have to consider not just your own social well-being. You have to be able to sort of consider uh, expand your thought process, um, because you know, on the one hand, um, you know your your own social well-being is going to be heavily influenced by the social well-being of those around you. Um, you know, you can't um, you know you can't really foster a healthy relationship with those around you if someone around you themselves isn't really doing that well. Um, so just taking the time to be considerate. Um, and, you know, of course, communication is a major aspect of that and taking the time to, um, you know, to check in day by day and, um, you know, check in as time goes on repeatedly with, um, with the people that you want to keep on maintaining closeness with.
1: Um, I think for me is just, um, being able to understand and, uh, to take it back. Uh, communicate with your social bonds and relationships as it is, and kind of um, discussing the type of relationships that you'll have and, you know, just discussing boundaries and expectations.
0: I really like the idea of like gratitude for people in your life because I think it's so easy to take people for granted and to take advice is like unsolicited and feel like it's extra or you don't need it because um, sometimes we just don't really know what we have until it's gone. So I think, yeah, just making sure to Express gratitude for people in your life. Make sure that they know that you appreciate them. um, And just don't take them for granted.
1: I want to add something real quick before we end. Um, With the gratitude for your life, I, as I'm getting older, um, I'm very curious in terms of my relationship with my parents um, and being able to be grateful from the transition from them being primary caretakers to people and being grateful to understanding them as people in general and building those social bonds kind of outside the caretaker relationship, uh, which I found has been very interesting and amazing.
0: Yeah, that is really interesting, like taking the time to get to know people or see people outside of their roles, like seeing them as people, um, like also like spending time, maybe making it a point to like do a certain activity with them that they really like, and you can kind of get to know another side of them.
1: With that said, it looks like this is it for today's episode. I want to thank Ashish again for joining us today. Uh, For our audience, please stay tuned as we dive into the other dimensions of well-being for the season.
0: And I hope you all have a great day. Um, Bye.